So yeah, there's a lot of wonderful things that God is doing at our Uptown community, and we want to celebrate all of this. Um, but as far as the sermon, the sermon title, if you notice in your bulletin, it's a little different. I changed it from people, pleasing people versus pleasing God through people to pleasing people versus responding to the gospel. So if you've been part of us, we're doing a sermon series on 1 Corinthians. And one of the really interesting things about 1 Corinthians is in chapters 8 to 10, which is the part of the letter that we're on, it really sounds like all Paul is saying is you guys got to be people pleasers in your workplace, in your family life, in your church context, you guys just got to please a bunch of people. And it's really easy for us to read these chapters as if Paul is just telling us to be a bunch of people pleasers. However, uh, we need to read this a little bit more carefully. And as we read it a little bit more carefully, we realize Paul is not advocating for Christians to be a bunch of people pleasing people. But he's advocating, exhorting us to be people who really respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, then one of the byproducts, one of the results of that is we will end up pleasing people, being the favor of all men. So we're going to take a look into this. Uh, like we do every week, we do have Q&A. So I just want to make sure that we're aware of the phone number. Uh, everything is anonymous. So if you have any questions about this passage, about this sermon, if you have any general prayer requests, again, all of this is an anonymous and we'll uh, address and reflect on all of them at the conclusion of our sermon. So uh, in order for us to get at this passage, uh, we're not going to read all the verses because it's really lengthy. So I'm going to have to summarize some of it. But in order for us to understand what Paul and his Corinthian church is going through, um, it's really difficult in our modern age. How many of us know what this image represents? Anybody know what this image is? Just, just shout it out. It's an advertisement. No? Nobody? This doesn't look familiar to anybody? Okay. So this is an advertisement by um, an ice cream chain Sweet Jesus. Has everybody heard of Sweet Jesus? Okay. So Sweet Jesus is an ice cream chain uh, and it actually sparked a lot of controversy because the name is, a lot of Christians will say it's blasphemy. And if you look at the flavors, it is kind of a play on Sweet Jesus. They are being a little irreverent to Jesus. And um, even people who aren't Christian, there was a lot of controversy because they would promote their, um, they would use advertisements like this where they would portray really um, weird pictures of kids. And one of the topics within some of Christians, especially um, yeah, within the church, is should we eat at Sweet Jesus? Maybe the ice cream is really good. Maybe the flavors and the toppings are very creative. But should we actually eat this ice cream when this company is being very sacrilegious towards Jesus and they're portraying their advertisement in a way that is not the most tasteful? Uh, similarly, in Paul's day and age, they were also experiencing similar types of controversies. Um, let me show you another image. Uh, this is an image of a bunch of Greek gods and goddesses. And you have to realize, again, Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago in the Greco-Roman Empire, everybody believed in gods. There were there was the god of thunder, Zeus. There was the god of sea, Poseidon. So many different gods, so many different ways of worshiping these gods. And everybody, they were very religious during Paul's time. Uh, one of the ways that you would worship gods is by sacrificing food for them. So for instance, there would be a shrine or a cult center or an altar for Poseidon, the god of water. 
and people would sacrifice food to Poseidon. Uh, for instance, there's Aphrodite. She is the goddess of wisdom. If you are, if you are experiencing a problem in your, in your life where you don't know if you should decide on one job versus the other and you need wisdom, what do you do? What does everybody do? You would go to the cult center of Aphrodite and you would offer foods to Aphrodite because she is the goddess of wisdom. And from that, you would receive the wisdom to be able to make the right decision. Uh, like I mentioned, my family, they just flew in just a couple of days ago. Uh, and what do you do when you get ready for your flights? You check in, you make sure that your baggage is, is light enough, all these different things. Well, what did people do 2,000 years ago when you were about to travel? Obviously, they didn't have planes, but they would travel by water. Man, water, traveling by boat, by ship was very dangerous. Before you take that travel, every single person, you will go to the altar of Poseidon, the god of waters, the god of sea. And you would offer food to Poseidon. You would eat that food and you would ask Poseidon, please grant me a safe journey because we know that the waters can be very treacherous. Everybody was religious. Everybody went to these pagan idols. And that's why in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul constantly talks about idolatry. Paul always talks about eating. What can you eat? What can you not eat? And it's very interesting because in this day and age, everybody, they were part of this type of system. Uh, and that's why Christians, the original Christians, do you know people, what people called us? People called us atheists because a lot of Christians, they realized, you know what? I don't believe in no Poseidon. I don't believe in Hera. I don't believe in Aphrodite. I don't believe in any of these gods. These gods don't exist. There is only one God in this universe. And that is the God that is Jesus Christ. And because of that, a lot of Christians, they wouldn't partake in what everybody else is doing. They wouldn't eat the foods that were sacrificed to Apollo, to Hades, to Hera, so on and so forth. And people actually called Christians atheists because they wouldn't participate in this religious system. Now, one of the issues was, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to go to the altar of Poseidon, even though I feel kind of scared about my, my travels next week. But when I go to the grocery store, when I go to the marketplace, if I want to eat meat, if I want to buy meat, every meat that's packaged has been offered to one of these gods. So just imagine, I don't, I don't like if people go to Loblaws or Whole Foods or whatever, and you look at the ground beef, you look at the fish, you look at the pork chops, whatever, you're trying to buy some meat. And you look at the packaging, you look at the nutrient facts or whatever, how much it weighs. And one of the things on that label beyond the expiration date is this was dedicated to Apollo. This was dedicated to Poseidon. And as a Christian, you're wondering, wait a minute, if this food was dedicated to one of these gods, these idols, am I allowed to eat this? And this was a very controversial thing among all Christians. And this is exactly what Paul is writing about. And some of the Christians will say, well, you know what? These gods don't exist. Zeus, Shmoos, I don't care who these guys are. They don't exist. Only one God exists. I can eat whatever I want. And Paul is writing about this. So let's take a look at what he writes. He says, now concerning food offered to idols, and that's exactly what I described. We know that all of us possess knowledge. Some of us, we have this knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Verse four, therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, 
Oh, I think this, this was one of the questions from last week. If we can get back to the text. So we're on verse four. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there, there is no God but one. So these people are saying, you know what? Zeus, Shmoos, they don't exist. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And he continues. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, even though a lot of people know this, not all possess this knowledge. Some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. So what is Paul saying is I'm so glad that some of you guys, you know what's right, that there are no other gods. But do you know the problem is in your church, in your congregation, your fellow brothers and sisters, some of them, they don't recognize that. And when you go to some type of cult, when you go to some altar and you eat the food that was sacrificed to another God, when your brother or sister, when they see that, their conscience is a little weaker than yours and you're going to destroy their faith. Their conscience is going to be defiled. So even though you have this knowledge, even though you have great theology, whatever, you have a great perspective on life, you can't just you live your life however you want. You also have to be sensitive and you have to really know what your brothers and sisters, what their conscience is like. Because if their conscience is weak, then you're really going to be a stumbling block to them. He continues, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Uh, it's kind of similar to, I mean, it's really hard for me to kind of come up with an analogy for our modern context. But uh, next week, we will do our first uptown in-house communion because I'll be ordained today and we'll be doing communion next week. And one of the things I think about when, with communion is um, why do we do grape juice? Does anybody ever wonder, like, why do we do grape juice? Because if you know historically, biblically speaking, when Jesus did the first Lord's Supper, it's not no grape juice, it's wine, <laughs> fermented drink. Um, and that's the way it's been in the history of the church. And I'm wondering, why do we do Welch's grape juice when historically, biblically speaking, it's actual alcohol? And, you know, I've been going back and forth. And as a Christian, somebody who has knowledge, somebody who has great theology, you could say, you know what, you're allowed to drink. It says so in the Bible. It's fine as long as you don't get drunk. Biblically speaking, historically speaking, we're being much closer to what the tradition that Jesus has passed on to us. So, yeah, I think we should use alcohol. And I think there's a good, uh, good argument for that. However, the reason why I probably would never do alcohol during communion is because we know that there is a modern phenomenon of alcoholism. And we know that there are certain people just like this through association from your previous pastime, your previous lifetime, whatever. For some people, that little whiff of alcohol can really undo them. So yes, theologically, historically, whatever, our knowledge, we can say, we can come up with great arguments saying we should use alcohol. But what Paul is saying is you can't just operate based on your knowledge. You also have to be sensitive to those whose conscience is weaker than yours. That's just one silly example. 
Paul gives other examples, and we're not going to read this verbatim if you want to read this on your own. Uh, the very next chapter, chapter 9, verses 1 to 18, Paul says, I am trying so hard to be a blessing to others. I'm trying so hard to please others that, you know what, I don't even eat or drink like a regular person. Paul says, I don't even drink alcohol. I don't eat the meat that is sacrificed to idols at all, even though I know that idols don't exist. He even says, I'm not even married. I don't even use my rights. I could, Paul says, I could be married if I wanted to. The other apostles were. But Paul says, I'm going to forsake this right in order to be more of a blessing to other people. Paul even says, as a minister of the gospel, I should be getting paid. But Paul says, you know what? I'm not even going to dip into that. I'm going to work with my hands. I'm going to be self-sufficient. Why? For this very reason, verse 9, but take care that this right of yours, Paul has many rights, but he forsakes all of his rights in order not to be a stumbling block to people, to please people, to really advance the gospel message. What does this have to do with us? Um, you know, I, uh, I talk about my home church a lot. I love my home church. I was there for 15 plus years. Still keep in touch with some of those guys. Whenever I visit, um, yeah, I have just, just great times with them. Uh, and their demographic is very reminiscent of the demographic here at Uptown, except maybe they're about 10 years ahead. And uh, one of the neat things about my, my church back at home is uh, a lot of the people that uh, I'm close with, we grew up uh, ever since university years. So I remember being their roommates, and we used to live like just uncivilized barbarians, eating whatever. Uh, and then we graduate from university. You get your first job. Some of these guys are loaded. Some of these guys are very successful. And then your eating habits, your lifestyle, all these things change. All of a sudden, you have disposable income. And one of the trends that I saw that uh, was a little concerning was, man, once people got money, like birthday parties, celebrations were not just about playing video games in, <laughs> in the living room. It, like the stakes were higher. Things were more extravagant. Uh, baby showers, bridal showers, the first birthday party of your infant. Man, like these things were decked out. And once somebody kind of made it nice, then it kind of sets a precedent. The next person, now they have to kind of make it nice. And then, and then so on and so forth. All of a sudden, you have a culture where people are buying nice cars. People are buying houses where they don't even, they've never even stepped foot half of their house because they have all these extra bedrooms. And one of the things that kind of concerned me is when our conscience is being weak, there may be people who struggle with materialism. There may be people who struggle with comparing one lifestyle versus another. There may be people who may struggle with trying to keep up with the Joneses. And one of the things that I felt like we could have done a better job is being sensitive to that. And again, these are our rights. Somebody can say, you know what, that's my paycheck. That's my salary. That's my hard-earned money. I can do whatever I want with this. I'm not sinning. I'm not doing anything illegal. And Paul is saying the same thing. You're not, he's not sinning. He's not doing anything illegal if he was able to eat, drink, marry, or whatever. But what Paul is saying is for the sake of the consciously weak, for the sake of my brother or sister, I'm going to forsake whatever it takes in order to be sensitive to this person, in order to love this person, in order to advance the gospel. 
And I'm not saying that all of us, we should be driving around just lemons or whatever, but I am saying when we make these big decisions, big purchases, a lot of times we're wondering, how can I get the best deal? Is this going to last? Is this a good investment? But I doubt people think, if I make this purchase, if I do this, will this be a stumbling block to some my brothers and sisters? Will this discourage people? Will this distract people? So I'm not saying we can't drive nice cars. We can't go to nice restaurants. But what I am saying is, in our decision-making and in our spending habits, are we even thinking about our fellow brothers and sisters? Paul is pretty radical. I mean, this guy is adamant. He's saying, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? This is going to wreck this brother or sister. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. And that's why he concludes, if we skip down to verse 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, he says, I will never eat meat. That juicy burger, that rare steak, that sushi, whatever, I'm not going to eat any of those things. Why? Because I don't want to stumble my weak brother, my sister. And we're wondering, wow, this is pretty radical. I don't know if I really want to be a part of a church like this. I don't know if I want my Christian life to be like this. And I'm not saying that we should follow Paul's example per se. But there is a reason behind why Paul does this. And that's the reason why the title of this sermon is so important. We're not here to please a bunch of people. It's not about people pleasing. It's are we responding to the gospel? Because what does Paul say? He says, I will never eat meat. Let's take a look at verse 12. He says, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You actually sin against Christ. He's saying you drinking alcohol in front of somebody who just got over it. And that one little whiff is going to set that person amok. You're not just sinning against your brother. You're sinning against Christ himself. That's what Paul is saying. Why would Jesus take this so personally? Is Paul exaggerating here? I feel like he's, it sounds like he's being a little too strong with his words. And the logic behind this goes to verse 11, where it says, do you not know that the brother that you are stumbling is somebody for whom Christ died? I mean, what Paul is essentially saying is we forsake our rights to love others. Do you know who is the epitome of that? Do you know who is the utmost exemplar of forsaking his or her rights in order to love those who are weak? Paul is saying Jesus Christ is the supreme example of that. When we think about, when we think about the gospel, I love our brother Raven's testimony of how he is so gung-ho about sharing the gospel. What is the gospel? What is that? One way of looking at the gospel is our God who had every right, every luxury, every whatever. He forsook it all in order to love those who are weak. Not to love those who are strong. Not to love those who are righteous, but to love those who are weak. It says so clearly in John chapter 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, we can go down the list. Jesus Christ is the holy God. 
every blessing, all the angels from eternity past to eternity future, they are worshiping at the presence of Jesus. They are cowering in the presence of his holiness. That is Jesus in his glorious form. What does he do? He forsook it all in order to come down on earth in the form of a little baby, not born in a nice hospital, not born in where there are nurses and OBGYNs decked out. He was born in a dingy manger with animals. He forsook all of his rights in order to love those who are weak. Jesus, who did he spend his time with? Whom did he minister to? It wasn't the religious leaders. It wasn't the political authorities. He could have. People were very impressed by his teaching. People were very impressed by his miracles. All He could have been with any crowd he wanted. But instead, he forsook that right in order to dwell with whom? The prostitutes. The tax collectors, the beggars, the lepers, the socially marginalized, the sinners, people like you and me. That's why in Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, all of you, we were formerly weak. We are the ones who are weak. Jesus saw after us. He could have easily rolled with the high-class people of his society, but instead he forsook it all in order to minister and to love and to pour his life to those who are weak. And what happened? Because he is loving and paying all of his attention to the socially marginalized. Boy, oh boy, the religious leaders, they didn't like that. They got jealous. And what did they do? They plotted a murder against Jesus. Got him arrested. Got him flogged. Had him hang on a cross. And again, Jesus, he's not just a man. He's also fully God. When he was hanging on that cross... Man, just with the wave of his finger, not even a wave, just the thought, he could have had legions of legions of legions of angels come down, rescue him. What does he do? He forsakes all of that, endures the horrifying, humiliating death on that cross. Why? In order to love weak ones just like you and me. This is Amazing. You look at anybody else in this world, any other God of any other religion, even your spouse, even your so-called kindred spirit, nobody's going to forsake their rights in order to love the weak. In every other religion, it's only the strong. It's only the holy. It's only the pious. It's only the people who get their act together that they can receive the favor of God. But in the gospel... And this is why people like our brother Raven, they're so passionate about this. In the gospel, it's backwards. Our God who is full of majesty, he doesn't wait for us to perfect our lives. He doesn't wait for that prostitute to get her life together. Instead, as weak sinners like us, like me, like you, he forsakes it all in order to love us. Wow, what kind of love is this? What kind of God is this? And that's why all this people-pleasing nonsense is not about people-pleasing. It's, do you understand that this God forsook it all, laid it all on the line in order to love you while you were weak, while you were mired in your sin? If that is the case, then when you look at your fellow brothers and sisters, the people for whom Jesus died on that cross, how can we live so cavalier? How can we be so insensitive 
our decisions, our lifestyle, everything. It's not, it's not because Paul is a killjoy trying to make our lives miserable. It's because if you truly tasted this love of Jesus Christ, how can that not move your heart to live likewise? This isn't about people pleasing. This is about responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know how this looks like practically for all of us. Again, we all live with different types of lifestyle expectations, but in your knowledge, in your rights, in the blessings you have given, are we utilizing it in a way where, man, I really want to be a blessing. Um, if the band can come forward, we're going to close our time. Um, and as well, I, I also want to give us an opportunity to really respond to this message, um, whether it's through prayer or, again, whether it's through Q&A. Uh, I know I didn't, you know, dot every I, cross every T. So if there are questions, please uh, let us know. Some of these questions have been so helpful. But, you know, this message, Sunday worship, is not about just hearing a nice talk. It's about really responding and encountering God, responding and being overwhelmed by the gospel message. So I just want to give uh, all of us an opportunity to do that. So if we can all rise. And really the first thing uh, that I want us to reflect upon, um, and this is what Paul says in chapter 9. Paul says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Here at Uptown, we say, woe to us if our, everything that we do is not about the gospel. This is not about people pleasing. It's not about eating this or that. It's about are we responding to the gospel? So I just want to give us an opportunity. What does, what does the gospel mean to you? Whether you're a newcomer and this is the first time you're hearing the gospel, or whether you've been church all your life and you've heard the gospel many times, what does it mean that our God who is full of holiness Majesty, glory, forsook it all in order to target your weak conscience. In order to target my sinful, depraved, twisted heart. He didn't wait for us to get our acts together like every other religion. But instead he targets the prostitute, the tax collector, the beggar, the whatever. What does that mean to you? So I just want to give us an opportunity to first just respond to the, the immense, incredible, radical love through the gospel of Jesus Christ before we pray for anything else in particular.